Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Mindset Matters podcast, where I'm joined by my wife, Olympic mental performance coach, Stephanie Hanlon-Francie. In these episodes, Stephanie and I have a conversation about the different aspects of what we refer to as Mindset Matters, because we believe that for those who are awake, we are living in and through the most impactful time in history. Your view of the world is the filter for how you will experience the evolution and changing dynamics of it. Our intention is to provide you with ideas, nutritious food for thought, and some tools that you can use to help you in being your greatest self and living your best life. Listen in. Enjoy. Hey, folks. Welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Mindset Matters podcast. Stephanie. Hey, Ann. So I'm not sure what episode this is. I think it's like 116 or something. We've done a lot of episodes. We have. Good for us. High five. Good for us. High five. Virtual high five. So great topic as always. And, you know, recently we went to, or I went to an event. You were in Calgary at a competition. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I was at an event that was, uh, it had Jeff Booth, the author of the book, The Price of Tomorrow. Can't recommend enough to read that book. And so I've had Jeff on the podcast a couple of years ago. He released his book, The Price of Tomorrow, literally, I think it was in February of 2020, just before the pandemic hit. And really quite profound and powerful, <laughs> the, the timing of his book. And he just called it, you know, prior, you know, prior to everything, you know, kind of shit hitting the fan in that regard, he called it. And the book is very, very good. I like him as a speaker. I like his thought process around monetary system, monetary policy, uh, how he sees the world. He gives a great and a very strong argument for Bitcoin and using Bitcoin or having some of it as part of your portfolio. So he's just a really interesting guy. And we did that in Vancouver last week. So it was good. You weren't there. We missed you. Oh, it was good that I wasn't there? <laughs> no, oh, it was oh, zing. Yeah, no, it wasn't good that you were there. It was good and you weren't there. <laughs> so we missed you. It's really funny. Thanks, <laughs> I missed you too. You crack yourself up, I know. Okay, I so let's carry on with this conversation. You know, when we when the event was over, I had the opportunity of I'm, I'm inviting Jeff to be back on the Everyday Millionaire podcast again, and he totally agrees and wants to do that and uh, excited to have him join me as a guest again in the near future. So you can look forward to that. Uh, but in the conversation, we started talking, and, and Jeff is a pretty profound thinker. You know, he is... Uh, very interesting to talk to in a lot of ways. We get onto this topic of consciousness and, you know, the fact that there's really only two feelings. And you and I have talked about that on the show here, which is we all operate from one of two places, which is fear or love. And my fundamental theory around it is that most hate, most anger is driven from fear. And do you want to comment on that? No, all anger, all hate, all anxiety is based in fear. You know, we don't have a, a, the emotion is anger or the feeling is anger, but the emotion is fear. It's like when you're happy, you're joyful or excited. Those are the feelings, but the emotion itself is love. So I think what he's trying to say is there's only two emotions, but a multitude of feelings that come out of that. 
A hundred percent. And as you and I have expressed before, when we look at the anger side of things, we're just angry. Somebody did something to us or something happened that we're at the effect of. And that's really where you have to break down whatever anger you might have is what is the fear that you're operating on top of. And it's going to be a fear of loss generally, not always, but it's generally going to be a fear of loss, a loss of money, a loss of identity, a loss of something that your ego, for example, is saying. Saying, hold it, you're a way bigger deal. So in behind it, it's often, at least my kind of level of understanding of this particular topic is that it will be fear of loss of some sort. It could be the fear of loss of health, uh, loss of life, loss of a loved one, loss of a friend. There's something in that. So I don't know if you have anything that you want to expand on that. Well, you know, it's really prevalent right now is that even talking to people, whether it's friends, clients, listening to, you know, the, I don't listen to mainstream media, but listening to different conversations, they seem to be weighing heavy on the negative side, which I think leads to a lot of victim mentality and victim mindset. And if you can help people shift and at least get to neutral, you know, for example, at least get to neutral, talking about what is, talking about solutions, talking about opportunities. But right now it's very heavy and very attractive and a little bit addictive, I think, for people to start talking about all the things that are going wrong, how angry they are, what has been done to me, what's happening in the government and the politics and, you know, the evil neighbors that are doing things to you. It's a lot harder to shift that into neutral and then try to come into a place of love, which is about talking about what is going on, what is opportunity, what is success, what is what is, what is. And when you talk about what is and about talking about creating from that place, you're talking about co-creating with yourself, with each other, with your, with your higher power. And I think it's a lot more encouraging, a lot more inspiring, but there is a way that we can talk about the negativity without creating a victim mentality. Well, and this is where that goes in the world of fear and love. We see people and we know people that are really victim. That's kind of how they operate. Now, we talk about that in a moment, but we're all guilty of victimness. And that doesn't necessarily resonate in terms of what we would, I guess, tradition. I don't know if the word traditionally or often think about as a victim is that, you know, oh, woe is me, poor me, something's happened to me. That is the obvious victim side of things. But even, and let's break down the victim because that was the next part of it. When we talked about love and fear, his comment was really kind of along the lines of what we've talked about in the past. But his basic comment was, you know, the thing about victims is that what they're seeking is love. And when they at some point in their life, they had something happen to them. They were the victim of something. They showed up as that victim and people rushed in to help them. They rushed in to give them support. They rushed in to give them a hug. They rushed in to give them advice. They rushed in to give them money. They did something that rescued them from that victimness at some level. And what then happens is that subconsciously, you become a victim because what are you seeking? You're seeking love. You're seeking attention. You're seeking that space of people that care for you. And the victimness is part of what drives that. So we've all met those individuals who seem to always be a victim to something. And it gets really tiresome. So it's interesting because those with that victim mentality who operate in the 
way in their life of being a victim, as much as they're looking for attention, they're looking for love, they're looking for care, they're actually driving it away. And that is the, I guess, the other side of the equation when you're being a victim. Now, where does that apply to us? Because we look at ourselves and we go, well, no, I don't really feel like a victim. We're pretty clear on that. We've done all a lot of years of work to go, you know, our life is a reflection of us. But when you think about how we complain, and I complain. I complain about well, politics. Speak for yourself. Well, speak I complain. Speak for yourself, buddy. <laughs> you complain. So you complain to me, but I love you. So then there's this thing where we start to complain. And when you look at complaining, it, com- it comes out, it can be as a victim. So in other words, what are you complaining about? Are you looking for a solution? Or are you just complaining? Which then puts you in the victim, which then ultimately subconsciously, what are you really looking for? You're looking for somebody to go, oh, you poor person. You, you know, I got you. Come here, give me, I'll give you a hug. You know, let me solve the problem for you. Whatever we're looking for, that is in the complaining, which is related to victimness. That's just my theory on it. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. What's your thoughts? That's a lot of words, but the truth is, you know, I I do have a way of creating and framing when there is a a need to identify something that's not working. I call it clearing. It's not complaining, and it has a beginning, middle, and an end. If you're clearing, you have to create the format and say, is it okay that I clear something with you? And then I say yes or no. And if I'm ready to handle it, whether, whether it's a friend or a family member or a client, of course, if it's a client, I always say yes. But I also teach them how to come to the conclusion where they're responsible for it or how to come to neutral. Think about it. There's also a line that I learned from a, a, an old friend of mine, a very wealthy woman, and she was so much fun to be around. And, you know, it's like the more money they had, the bigger their problems were. And it was really quite interesting for me. And one of the things she always said to me when she was clearing, she said, you know, I'm not complaining. I'm just explaining. And I went, oh, okay. So there is a difference in the intention of when you're clearing, complaining, explaining, or creating context for something. It's when it shifts the line over to the victim, I can always sense it. And that's what kind of turns me off. It's what repels me away from people. It's not like I don't want to help them. But when they're complaining to the point where they're not willing to stop and look at themselves or try to find solutions and opportunities in that particular scenario, then I really have to put a hard stop on it. Well, you know, it's interesting that I often and anybody who has worked with me closely and, you know, key team members, they know how I process and I actually have to process out loud. For me, that's what works. So what can seem like a big problem and or complaining really isn't. It's me vocalizing what's going on in my head so that I can get to a conclusion. I'm always looking for my own solution. And unless I'm not, which I then say, here's what I'm seeing how do we solve this? But sometimes I just have to be able to clear it using the language that you are, which is to say, I'm going to express it out loud and I'm going to create the space to do that. And having said that, I've also created the team that knows how I do that. They're, and they're similar, by the way. It's not like I've got this unique way of doing anything. It's just that for me, that's how my process is. Others you know, write it down or have to map it out. And, and I do some of that as well. So Going back to what Jeff really was talking about in the context of we operate from fear or love, often we have to consider that when we're being angry, what is our fear? It's helpful to get to that, I think, is to stop and say, okay, you've done something to me, but what can collapse that 
is what is the fear that you're operating on top of that is actually driving the anger? That's my thoughts on that. That's often how I have to process it. I don't know if that's useful to somebody listening, but what's your thoughts? Well, I think it's very useful because, you know, some people will really feel a lot of relief in, in journaling and getting it all out, just dumping on a piece of paper, ripping it up, burning it, you know, in a porcelain or stainless steel sink, not in your living room, but getting it out and letting it go and releasing that because that it holds so much energy when you are really experiencing something quite devastating, damaging to your health, to your reputation, to your to your lifestyle, to to wherever. It's real. It can feel so big and so real. So how do you shift it? Well, it's sometimes it's very difficult. We don't have the tools. Many of us don't have the tools to shift it by ourselves to get to neutral or to get to somehow on the other side so we can start to see a little bit clearer. So when you're talking about love and fear, there really is only two emotions. If that's the case, when you get to the fear side of it and you have the tools and you have maybe the mental capacity and the conscious awareness is to ask yourself, oh, what? Okay, so here's what's going on. What am I afraid of? What am I truly, truly afraid of? Because when you're in that negativity, the anger, the fear of loss, it can show up. And I will say it like you're seeing red right? When you're seeing red, it's very difficult to shift it by yourself. And that's not always just being a victim. It's sometimes it's just telling the truth that something shitty has happened and you got to work through it. But right now, I don't want to deny how I'm feeling because sometimes there's feedback in those feelings. There's feedback in the anger. I don't want to ever dispel someone's anger because to me, there's a way to use that as fuel as long as it doesn't suck you into the victim side of it. But there's a lot of anger. It's like, you know, for example, Patrick Bet David's book about, uh, you know, choose your enemies wisely is that sometimes choosing your enemies means they've really hurt you. They've pissed you off. They've they've given you a stand. You know, what are you willing to to commit to? And sometimes that has to come from anger. But if it doesn't get reframed and how you can transmute it, transform it into something neutral so that it can get to the positive side and action and, you know, whether it's you write a book or whether you are going to take a stand for people that are less fortunate or whatever it is, there's magic and there is some feedback in the anger. So I'm not saying to dump it out and just let it go and, and forget about it, but there are sometimes some pretty cool clues in it. Well, I think you make a great point, which is to, when you start about managing anger or it's okay to be pissed off, sometimes you need to be pissed off. Back to the book that Patrick Bet David wrote on Choose Your Enemies Wisely, that is part of what will inspire people sometimes is I'm pissed off. I'm going to show you. You took advantage of me five years ago, and I'm going to make you eat your words. Whatever that is, as long as you're aware of it, knowing that, listen, if you're being vengeful, then that's a real negative kind of way to approach it. If you want to prove something to somebody, perfect. If you want to be pissed off about it, then be pissed off about it. Express yourself. But knowing and doing it consciously is way different than being reactive to it. You know, this goes back to the conversations in sports where, you know, the coach walks in, he's got to get a message to his team. They're not hearing him. He walks in, he kicks the garbage can across the room. He's pissed off. He's showing his anger. That's a very calculated move on coaches' parts. And I'm not suggesting that they still do that. I think there probably is old school where they will do that for sure. But again, it's very calculated. It's consciously doing that as opposed to being reactive and not really acknowledging what's going on behind it all. That's, you know, fundamentally it. And let, hold it, before I move on, is there anything you want to add to that before I move on a little bit? Yeah. 
just that anger is completely misunderstood right now in the 2020s. Because honestly, if we don't have a clear view on what's pissing us off and what's angry, and we suppress that, that's also the root of disease. So hey, another podcast, but I don't want to step over the fact that healthy anger and being able to fuel it and redirect it into something powerful is really important. Don't suppress your anger. Well, I think there's, you know, that's a really great point. And, you know, right now I'm pissed off a lot about a lot of things, especially when we look at the global macro, what's happening in terms of the politics, the government, whether it's our Canadian government, whether it's U.S., I don't care. It's I'm watching this whole thing unfold because sadly I'm in it. I actually do the research into it. I don't follow mainstream media. I'm not interested in it. It's all talking heads that are reading some kind of script. It's all bullshit. That pisses me off. But here's the thing about it is I have a place for it. I have a context for it. And I believe that I, I don't want to say I have the right, but yeah, no, I'm legitimately pissed off about it. And I do operate on top of some fear. Well, what the hell's the fear? The fear is, is that we're going down this path driven by political agendas, by politicians' agendas that I've lost I have no control over. And so I have fear of loss, a fear of loss of my identity, fear of loss of businesses, fear of loss. Like there's always these things that we're out of control and we're reading and reacting. And, you know, I don't want to get too off on a vent, but at the end of the day, what I'm suggesting here is that I know for myself that I'm pissed off about a lot of things. I don't live in the anger of it. I'm aware of it. And I'm also aware of the underlying fear, which is, am I going to be able to risk mitigate against any number of things that I'm feeling are on the table in terms of risk? So for me, that's where that's at. I just wanted to yeah. kind of say that. Yeah, out loud. thanks for that. You take an overabundance of fear and then you, you compress it with the media, you compress it with what's going on in society, and then you're dividing people with family and color and race and gender and all that stuff. Of course, there's going to be all this fear. So it's a, a, um, a confused mind always says no. So if you're not going to move through your confusion or have a context or a place to, to have that, then you're going to be controlled. And that's just really sad right now. I'm seeing it all over the place. So anyway, let's move on to the next part. But if we want to dig into that, we can do it on another podcast. Well, we can. But I think there's something to be said about all of this, which is that this is happening. We're seeing it because of what we do and who we connect with and the people that are in our lives. We see it. It's a big deal for a lot of people. It's actually shutting people down. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They're angry for a lot of reasons, but they're not actually being aware of their anger and getting to the underlying and even stating out loud, what is the fear? Now, we go back to the practice of being a Stoic, the practice of Stoicism, which is to say, what can I control? And this goes to the next part of where I want to kind of go with. It's a nice segue, which is ultimately all we can control is our reaction to what's going on. So in this case, we see a lot of things that we have no control over in this world. Lots of government politics, for example. We have a lot of things that are just happening in general economically, which then drives a lot of fear. We can't control any of those things. All we can control is our response to it and try and manage our emotions, try and manage our intellect. So this is the segue into a quote that I wish I could give it credit to, but I researched it. I don't know who came up with this quote. I don't even know where I heard it. I don't own it, although I use it a lot, which is this. It's not the weight we carry that breaks us down. 
It's the way we carry the weight. And the weight I'm referring to here is the emotional, intellectual, spiritual weight. Not so much the physical, although that can be part of it. This is the weight we carry in the concern, in the emotional worry, in the anxiety. The weight we carry of the challenges, the responsibilities, the accountabilities. So it's not that which breaks us down. It's the way we carry it. It's the way we buy into that emotional, intellectual aspect of how the weight, you know, we take life very seriously. And there's a part of it where we have to go back to, you know, don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff. So that's kind of an opening for you in terms of when you think about how you see your clients, how you, how you see me carry weight, how we self-assess and how we carry weight. What's your thoughts on that particular quote? I think it's a, a good one and it's a good reminder. I love that quote. And I think the first time I heard it was with Wayne Dyer. Um, it was a version of that. And I think over the years you've added, it's not the weight you carry that breaks us down. It's the way you carry the weight. And I think not just physical weight, but when you're carrying, um, whether it's a fear of judgment or you're losing something or you're carrying something so heavily, I can see it in people's bodies. I can see it in their faces. You know, you can see how their faces come down and the gravity and their shoulders punch over. So there is a physical reaction to how we carry weight. Now, carry the weight of the world, for example. So you say, yes, it's our reactions that we can control. But if we don't have that awareness and that moment, that five second rule to Mel Robbins point where you can just breathe for five seconds, count down five, four, three, two, one, and maybe take a breath. It's not just the reaction. It's also the perspective. And that's the piece that I like to add to it is, okay, well, what if I just look at it from over here? What if I look at it from up above as if it's somebody else and it's just on a screen? Or how can I, you know, I called you from... Calgary this week at nationals and I was really really upset and in a charge about something and I talked it through you didn't try to give me solutions that's a number one is to not try to give people solutions when they're clearing and number two is when I stopped talking you just listen you just stopped talking and there was all this space and I was able to breathe and to consider how I was feeling in that moment because you didn't try to jump in and go yeah are you done okay I gotta go now but you just sat there and then there's two or three minutes go by and I realized I hadn't said anything and I go, hello? And he goes, like, yeah, I'm still here. Oh, it took me so 30 to me years to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, but if somebody listening to this podcast can actually listen to that, I, I do that with my skaters all the time, the clients that are ice dancers. I, you know, sometimes there's just space if we're on Zoom and I don't say anything or on the call. Sometimes it's just breathing at the same time and creating that space to create not just a, a more managed response, but that's what also can shift the perspective and it can shift the weight and how you're carrying it in your body or in your heart or in your thought process and going, you know, I never thought of it that way. Thanks for that perspective. I just needed someone to hold the space for me to not try to fix it, not try to, you know, correct me and say you're not, those feelings aren't valid because, you know, feelings are, they're like all these different feedback loops, but most of them aren't real because they're filtered. There's so many filters that we have back to our, you know, our childhood traumas, back to the things that have happened to us, back to the things that are happening consciously to humanity right now. So we're filtering things all the time. So sometimes we just need that person to sit on the other end of the phone or on the couch and and just hold space. No judgment, no corrections. Well, I think, yeah. And, and I, that's a, 
I guess, a strategy or a tactic to kind of get through some things. But, you know, for me, we go back one, which is first, be the observer of your thoughts. Understand that first and foremost, none of what you're telling yourself is real. I mean, it is real for you, but how are you carrying the weight? So if you start to ask yourself that question, you know, uh, let, let's give a kind of a, a, a stronger context. You can be upside down $100,000. You have a bill to pay tomorrow with a hundred grand. For a hundred grand, you don't have the money. It's been eating at you for however long. And it's very real. And that can cause a lot of anxiety, a lot of angst, a lot of challenges. And that can really shut you down. It can piss you off. It can melt you down. It can be very emotional. It can be like anxiety. Now, it's a mental game, which is to say, okay, well, let's just pull back from that. Tomorrow, you got to write the check for 100 grand. You don't have the money. So whether you have the money or sorry, whether, and, and you can be pissed off about it and you still owe the money. You can still, you can have a lot of anxiety and you still owe the money. You can be in a space where you're shutting down, you're shutting other people down. You still owe the money. Or you can go, okay, I don't have the money. I got to let that go. I'll deal with it when it shows up tomorrow and let the chips fall where they may fall. You still owe the money. Do you follow what I'm saying is, is there has to be a place where the mental game is, it just is what it is. I'm doing the best I can and I'll deal with it the best I can. And, ah, you know, do you, do you follow what I'm saying? And I, I'm not suggesting, I'm not suggesting for a minute that's easy, not even for the slightest minute. And, and I go through different phases of stuff when it shows up for me, but the point is, and the first thing to do is to step back from it and go, okay, it is what it is. I've done everything I can. I'm not going to let it ruin all parts of my emotion, my intellect, and or let it weigh on my kids because I'm being an asshole, you know, as an example. Yeah, you come home and kick the dog, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, the sad part and the scary part about that is I believe that's where we're really doing a disservice, whether it's in the coaching field or in the education field, and we're not teaching kids how to manage adversity. We're not teaching that adversity is where the feedback is. We are building our resilience by going through adversity and having the tools and the skills. And if we don't have the tools and the skills, what happens is we then start to become victims on another level. Mm. Um, the saddest part is I'm seeing now is 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 suicide, the attempts at suicides, the, the people feeling like they've got no hope. And, and again, yeah. spiking because we're not teaching that adversity where the tools are. Where's the clue in the adversity? Where the, And so I say to my clients all the time, the solution is in the adversity. The solution's in the problem. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to step over and deny that there's a problem, we can't discover what the solutions are. It's I think it's some of the things that piss you off sometimes about me when I when I start asking questions about things that we're working through things. I'm not asking to judge or find solutions. I'm asking because there's clues in the problem always. But that takes, again, a mindset of, well, whether it's a mindset of being a champion or a growth mindset, however you want to frame it. But the solutions are always in the adversity. And if we are going to avoid or deny, and that builds up and builds up and builds up, becomes big, bigger than a, an incompletion. It becomes more drama than you can handle. You, you've delayed making a decision, which is a decision. And next thing you know, you've got this snowball that's rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and that you can't even, then you're under something. Think about the weight that you're under then. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that 
when we look at this overarching conversation, it goes back to a couple of things. You know, when we look at the weight we carry, when we look at the fear and love, we look at what we fear. Uh, this all comes back to, you know, a fundamental understanding of ourselves to be and have that awareness. You know, what is interesting about all of this is, you know, when we, I, you know, we, we've done this body of work of self-discovery, self-development, personal professional development, whatever you want to call it for many, many years. And, you, you know, even for this podcast, I research thoughts and ideas, something that we have experience with and that we understand pretty well. I mean, we're always on this journey of discovery and learning more. Now, the reason I share that part of it is that in a recent, you know, I was watching a bunch of different podcasts, listening and watching a different podcasts. One I came up with who we really both appreciate is Mel Robbins. And she was talking about her challenge to be happy. So when you look at Mel Robbins and her success and the money that she's gained and her, you know, very successful podcast, she's got a lot of stuff going on, but she talks very openly about her challenges with being happy. And she you know, comes up with some here, you know, these are things to consider in being happy. My point is around all of it. As I listen to people like Mel, it could be Mel Robbins, it could be Tony Robbins, it could be any number of podcasters that we follow along. One of the messages that I always come back to is we are so busy thinking that our life should be easier I look at Mel Robbins, I look at Tony Robbins, I look at, or Mel Robbins, Tony Robbins, is, I guess it is the not same related, last name. Not related, I don't think. Yeah, they're not related at all. No, I just happen to be that. But my point is, is that we look at all these successful individuals that are in the public sphere, or we look at friends that, you know, seem to have it all figured out. They all got shit going on. Everybody's got their stuff going on, their challenges, their worries, their concerns, their anxiety. Every single human being on this planet has some level of challenge. And yes, it makes they make it look easy or on the uh, from the outside looking in. It's like, oh, they've got it all figured out. No, they don't. And it's really great because uh, where I appreciate Mel Robbins and the work that she's pointing out, she's saying, no, I'm a shit show. I got whatever her story is. She's got menopause and she's got all these challenges going on. And she's like really having conversations that regardless of my success financially and in my business, I got all sorts of stuff that are really challenging me and I'm a shit show. Like she's great that way. And I was reminded in her search for being happy, how a lot of what she said resonated with me because of how I get into my own head, my own intellect. And the point of it is that Life isn't really intended to be easy. As a matter of fact, in order to have growth in our life, we have, we have to face challenges. We have to get through those challenges. Those are the tests that help us grow. Now, there are certainly people that are probably not listening to this podcast who aren't interested in growing. They're interested in protecting their life and keeping it exactly the way it is. You and I aren't designed that way. And I think many who are listening to our podcast aren't designed that way. So a little long-winded, but I think that, that I want to finish as we wind this down in that whole conversation that we have to really consider that our expectation of how life should be easier, how building a successful business, a successful career, making more money, all of those things, damn it, it should be easier. And it's not. And it stresses us out because it's not. None of it's easy. If it was easy, more people would do it. Mm -hmm.
I mean, anything. Think about being an entrepreneur. I mean, you know, the the all so many people that were forced out of their jobs or trying to create whatever's next in their life. Well, I'll just become an entrepreneur. That's got to be easier. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good luck with that. So none of it's easy. So if we just take easy and put it over here, you know, ease is different. You want to do it with ease or joy or peace, however that energy you want to put around or the context you want to build. But let's just get rid of the fact that any of this is easy. Because if it was easy, more people would do this type of work. And it's easier, I think, just to sit on the couch or to stay in the rut or not to change or not to pick up that book or not to fight with your partner or not to try to gain clarity or not try to, you know, demand more of yourself and to change and to grow. So I think that's easy. That's the, I think I call that the paradox of being a champion. Do you remember years ago, I don't know where we got it from, but it was a phrase that we often would use in our own coaching is that actually life is hard. And when you realize that life is hard, then life's easy. Exactly. You know, that's just the way it is. And so <laughs> along the way, have fun along the way. So as we wind this down, you know, just a couple of recaps, you know, it's not the weight we carry that breaks us down. It's the way we carry the weight. When we looked at complaining, blaming, even gossip, by the way, and being a victim to whatever's happening in our life, it is probably based in the need or the desire or the gap that we may be feeling around love, support, connection. And if you can look at it that way, it may open up doors of conversation that weren't there or that you didn't want to enter before. Maybe you went into them with anger as opposed to going into them with this thought of love that really all I'm looking for is for you to hear me, for you to say, got you, for you to say, that sucks, let me know if I can help, but not approach it from this place of feeling neglected and feeling angry because, or feeling a, like a victim because the world's happening to you. It's happening to everybody, it really is how we carry that weight. Stephanie, any final words? No, just I'm happy to be home. Oh yeah, we never even talked about you. You had a great weekend, great competition. You guys crushed it again. I don't know. It's almost like, you know, we come to expect it from you guys. Thanks. No, no pressure there. <laughs> no, you know what's really no cool? There. If I can be the life is so easy for you. Isn't it? Just go crush it. Podium all your athletes, you know. Wow. You know what? I think that's I, I appreciate you saying that, but the, at the same time, what it does show me is just how much work the athletes are willing to do that we're working with right now. You know, Mary Franz Dubray, Patrice Lozal, and Robin Hagenauer. I just have to give a shout out to my team with the Ice Academy Montreal and the team behind the team behind the team because mm -hmm. we have our teams. And, you know, if I wasn't supported the way that I am when I go on these competitions, I don't know if I, I would be as, well, I probably would be, but I don't know if I would be as brilliant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, listen, if you're going to be the best in the world at what you do, you got to work at it. You got to make sure that you are clear on your thought processes. You got to do the work. Stephanie, thank you. That was fun. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.